This is Run Excuses, Season 3, Episode 15. Q&A at Worldcon. 15 minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And I'm Mary. We once again have Mary Robinette Kowal with us answering questions. I got it right that time. Uh -huh. Yeah, all right. <laughs> um, and we have um, questions from the audience. And we are going to have the audience come up and actually ask these into the mic. And so uh, excuse us if it bumps and thumps and things like that, because uh, Jordan forgot our flip mic. Um, did I mention that already? Um, all right. So let's do the first question. Um, it was right here. Come on up. Um, you're the next contestant on um, Howard making fun of you. I mean, uh, wait, uh, I do not do that. Please speak into the book. Uh, my question is, what kind of media do you guys use when you're writing? Like, do you write on pen and paper beforehand? Do you go straight to a computer, or do you use some other archaic mode? Okay. Everything I write, I do primarily in linotype machine. <laughs> Which is kind of like Dr. Seuss and Rube Goldberg creating the weirdest typewriter ever. It works really well. It takes a long time, though. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, answer the question. Let's see. Let's just have everybody say quickly what they use. Um, I type in Microsoft Word, um, boringly. Um, but because of something Howard said earlier in the podcast year a year ago um, or more, he he suggested WikiDeepad. Um, which is a personal wiki software, and I started using that, and I love it. Um, I've been using it very extensively for um, working on Way of Kings, doing the world book for it and things like that. So I use that. I've occasionally written things by hand, um, and it's too darn slow. Um, it's usually better for me when I do because I don't self-edit as much, and then I can do a nice draft when I type it into the computer, and it turns out really nice, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and angels sing, but it's slow, and I hate it. Um, I'm still Microsoft Word. Pretty much that's all I use. Several files open at a time so that I can write different things in different places. And, and a crash kills it all. Yes, and then it all dies. That did happen to me once. I save much more frequently now. Autosave. Autosave turned on like every 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, Mary. Um, I use OpenOffice and uh, have recently been turned on to Dropbox which is a software, an offline, or an off-site. So it, it's saving all of my files online okay. in its own, okay. automatically. Don't even oh. have to do anything. Wow. Love That's that. That's kind of cool. And, uh, and then it automatically syncs it between my computers. Oh. Wow. OK, I may have to look into that. <laughs> all right. Howard, um, what do you do? So my process is far more interesting than any of yours, because I have to write, and then I have to pencil, and then I have to ink, and then I have to color, and I use different media for all those. Uh, but I actually do my scripting in the same tool uh, Brandon and Dan use. Uh, I use Microsoft Word. I lay things out in uh, text boxes in Microsoft Word, so I'm actually building the panels of the comic in Word, which the cartoonists in the audience are saying, you idiot, why, why would you do that? That's the hard way. It's, it's what works. Um, and then I print those pages out. Uh, eight and a half by 14 paper, and then I draw right on my scripts, ink right on the scripts, and then I take a, you know, a finished comic that has been penciled and inked, is just all black and white, scan that into the computer and color it in Photoshop, which is a crazy, crazy process, but it's fast. It's allowed me to go from script to finished product really fast. And I think the reason I've stuck with it is because lettering in Illustrator or in Photoshop is easier than hand lettering, but is not the same as writing in Microsoft Word. And it's just a nightmare. Well, and 
Something I've noticed about writers is they tend to stick with whatever they started doing things with. It's very hard to get us to switch to anything. This is why Ray Bradbury still types on a manual typewriter. Mm -hmm. Because despite the fact that we write science fiction, um, we are scared of technology, um, it seems. We get used to something. Well, actually, I, I mean, I... I have different, I started writing longhand, and then like you, moved to the computer because it's just plain faster. Um, but I also, for a long time, about half of my novel was written in graffiti on my Palm Pilot. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and, um, and I just recently you know, upgraded to a, a G1, and, and I miss the Palm Pilot. I miss the really? graffiti, yeah. You got a G1? Okay, yeah. We'll have to talk about that. I'm almost I, I took a lot of, I wrote a lot of journal entries in graffiti on my old first-generation Palm. Yeah. I had a first-generation Palm 2. Yeah. And that was a nice machine. Palm 2 wasn't first-generation. <laughs> okay, I had a Palm. Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to move on before I strangle Howard. Um, next question. Next question. Come on up. I think if you want to write something, the first uh, step is to come up with original ideas to use. So how do you guys come up with yours? Okay, the age-old question that some authors hate and some authors love and some authors make fun of. Where do you get your ideas? And how do you make them original, I think, is yeah. part of his question. That's a good point. Okay, mm -hmm. Mary. Um, I actually have more ideas than I have time to write. Um, so for me, what I try to work on is not so much the idea, but what idea is going to make a good story. And first it's coming up with the gee whiz factor, you know. Um, and then after that it's who is this going to hurt? Seriously, you know, it, is there pain someplace involved in this? And I mean emotional distress, not, uh, not physical. And once I figure out who it's going to hurt, then I can start writing, then I can come up with a story. But you can write a story about, you know, you can make an interesting story about almost anything if, you, if you've got an emotional through line. Okay. Dan, ideas? Um, I, I have said this before on the podcast. A lot of my ideas I tend to incubate for at least a year. Uh, that rattling around, there's five or six right now that uh, you know I can tell when they're kind of getting done and when I just need to poke them with a fork and turn them over. And uh, eventually, what sparks it is that idea in my head colliding with all the others and colliding with you know whatever else media that I'm looking at in the news, whatever. It will eventually generate a hook that jumps out and grabs me and says, oh, that really cool political noble house lion in winter story you've been working on, combine that with Teen Wolf and you've got something. And I think, okay, you know, that does work. And that's when all the ideas start to come. And I think, okay, there's two completely disparate ideas that could combine in a very interesting way that I've never seen before. Yeah, I would say that that's one of the big factors for me too, is the combination mm -hmm. of two ideas. Um, people have written a lot about creativity. I've talked about it on the podcast before. The concept that um, human beings, the way we are creative is in recombination, generally. We take two disparate things and we put them together and make something new. Um, we don't imagine a color that's never existed before. We imagine putting a horn on a horse's head and, you know, making something that's part horse and part goat or something like this. That is imagination for us. That is creativity a lot of time for us. And for me, that's where my books come from, my stories come from, is this idea plus this idea. Hmm. Um, it's not, and, and that's also where you can make them original, is when you combine them and when together, instead of two cliched ideas, you've got one new idea. Um, and and I, 
I see this a lot in my writing, I see this in other people's writing. But um, Elantris, my first book, was essentially me wanting to, um, to write a story about zombies. Um, and I'm like, well, too many people have done zombies, and so I'm going to do a prison for zombies. People catch this disease, they toss them in, they live there. Those were two dis ideas. Prison story, done before. Zombie story, done before. Prison for zombies, not done before. Um, and of course, I never once mentioned in the book that they're zombies because that's, that it became something completely different. It became a magical disease, that, you know, but essentially they're mm -hmm. zombies in prison. Um, and we, we did a whole genre, a, a podcast, and I'm, I'm not sure if we've aired it yet because we aired them out of order, but about genre bending um, or about how kind of doing genres in, in, and hiding genres inside of other genres. Yeah, we've done that like one. That. We've, we we've that aired one. that one. Yeah, we did some of them out of order to get the, the, pan, the con ones earlier. Um, but that's the same idea, doing it, taking these two ideas and combining them. Yeah. Okay. I get, you know, my ideas, I get my ideas the same way Dan, Dan Brown, J.K. Rowling, Stephanie Meyer get their ideas. I go through slush piles and little known works of fiction by authors nobody's heard of, and I steal their stuff. <laughs> okay, everybody's Burn. laughing. I just want to say how patently absurd that idea is, because like Mary pointed out first, we are full of ideas. Rowling and Brown and Meyer had their own original ideas that other people may have independently arrived at, but they're not stealing from anybody ever. And I'm comforted by this because every time I tell a joke, I worry that somebody else has told that same joke. Mm -hmm. You know, when I stuck a cost club into my comic and then realized that Bill Amend had also taken Sam's Club and Costco and blended them and turned them into Cost Club. Well, I wasn't stealing from him and he wasn't stealing from me. We just independently arrived at something that our readers would recognize as a funny spoof on warehouse stores. So. All right, next question. Uh, you often said that you've done outlines uh, before you start your book. How do you actually create the outline? Okay, um, let's take this to the wider group um, because we've talked a lot about this. Mary, do you use an outline? I do. And if you do, how do you, well, you do. Okay, how do you use it? <laughs> um, what I do is, uh, first I, I come up with the, a loose, you know, the, the loose beginning, middle, end in paragraph form, so I kind of know the, the basic structure. And then I write the outline as the major plot points, and then I look <laughs> at that and figure out how to get from major plot point one to major plot point three, like what steps do I need in between? Um, and it's not always, you know, two. Sometimes right. it needs to be two, three, four, and five. Right. Um, and then once I have that, I start writing. Um, and as I, as I write, I don't keep the outline in a separate file. Um, so each chapter gets its own, uh, gets, gets the little paragraph blurb. You just expand blurb. the outline? I just, ex okay. I just expand the outline because when I finish a chapter, if I have to go over and grab the, the other file to see what the next chapter is, I'll do one of two things. One is I will deviate from the outline because I'll just keep writing. Or I'll go, mmm, it's time for a snack. <laughs> <laughs> or let's see what's happening on the internet. Nothing's yes, happening there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then as I'm going, if I, if I come up with, I was an art major in college, and, uh, and I had a teacher who talked about happy accidents. If I come up with something that was not in the outline, um, I stop and I step back and I look at it. I'm like, OK, I know what the story I want to tell is. This is going to significantly change the outline. Is it going to take me closer to the story that I want to tell? 
do I find the story this is going to, if it's not, is this going to be a more interesting story? And if, if both of those are, no, it's not going to take me closer, and no, that's not an interesting story, it's, it's out. If it is more interesting, then I revise the outline. Okay, cool. Um, Dan, outlines? Um, I actually, as, as I was packing for Worldcon, I found this old notebook um, that I had taken a bunch of notes on for Serial Killer back years ago when I was first writing it. And I hadn't realized I'd done this, but uh, having developed the initial outline of, you know, here's the character I want, and here's the general arc that I want, and this is good, you know, that's going to result in these themes, I found all these notes of, you know, how to do that, how to call those themes into conflict. Hmm. You know, is he, you know, if he's questioning humanity and what it means to be human, then let's make a big list of all the things that could potentially um, deal with that theme and good versus evil, and all of these other themes that show up in the book. And uh, looking at this list, I can see that I, I took those and worked them straight into the outline. You know, someone finds out that, you know, the, John finds out that the, the bad guy does this, and so that makes him think this. All of these points made it into my outline, and that's how I created them. There's a, another page later on that says triumphs. We need ways for John to show triumph and competence. So, you know, specifically thinking out what these events would be with that purpose in mind, and then finding a place to stick them in the outline is what helped flesh that book out. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I do the same sort of thing, and I, I think of it in terms of lampposts. I'm, I'm, you know, you're walking down a very foggy, you know, unlit street, except there are lampposts here and there, and those lampposts are the points at which I know the character has to do something in particular. You know, they have to have something happen to them, or they have to happen to somebody else, they have to change in a certain way, and the foggy parts are the, the prose and the pictures that lie between the lamps, but I know what happens at those lampposts. And yeah, my notebooks, I don't write a full outline like Brandon does or like uh, Mary does, um, but I will write down, you know, these are the things that I want to have happen to the characters. These are the key characters for this story. And when I'm done, uh, I start, you know, I sit down and start scripting. And of course, I don't have the luxury of going back and rewriting things if I make mistakes. Um, but I'll noodle around on themes and whatever, looking for punchlines as I am making my way to the lamppost. And so I'm, I wander a bit more than most people who outline do, but I definitely outline. Okay. Um, I work backward. Um, I found that outlines build best for me if I start with con the, the resolution of a conflict and then find out how I got there. Mm -hmm. um, I, but this is, I'm very goal-driven in my writing. Um, I, a lot of my ideas come while I'm listening to dramatic music, while I'm working out in the gym trying to distract myself from how horrible it is. I hate working out. Um, and thinking about, oh, here's a great, powerful image. Here's a great, powerful climax to, a, to, a, to an, a story. I've got to get there and lay all the groundwork. And so then I lay the groundwork. Um, and I do it with bullet points. Um, an outline for me, and I've said this before, there's not like... It's not like you learn in school, subheading B, you know, dot I, 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 what all this stuff. No, an outline for me is here is this powerful, important scene. How do I get there? Mm -hmm. And then I work backward with a bunch of bullet points. And then those bullet points, I'll usually have actually on an outline, I'll have, I'll have like six or seven um, important things that need to happen. One's, you know, a character um, climax, and then another character's climax, and then plot uh, conflict resolution, and these sorts of things. And these are all sitting there, and I'll grab one bullet point from one, and one bullet point from another, and one bullet point from another, and put them together and say, okay, I'm going to write a scene somehow that accomplishes these things. 
Um, or I'll decide, oh, one of those things needs to be split in two. And I'll write a scene that does one of those. And so my scenes are built goal-driven like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to point out that uh, outlines don't have to be restrictive. They can be very flexible. I, I um, write outlines, I mean, very detailed, chapter by chapter. This is what's going to happen. And then I modify them constantly as I write. If I'm going along and I realize this scene is actually not as interesting as I thought it was going to be, it only takes a couple of pages, then, you know, that's going to change everything else. If I think, oh, at this scene, now that I get here, I realize this other thing has to happen first, I go back and I fix it. Or I can add more and I can change it. And so writing an outline is not a way to, you know, fix your story so that it can never be changed. It's just a guideline. And when you need to throw that guideline away, throw it away. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, we are going to break here. And, um, but we'll be doing more Q&A at the next episode. So um, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a longstanding and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.